0: Father, we, we know we are motivated by several things in, in different areas of our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand what our motivation should be and what it motivates us to do, that, that desire to either not experience fear or frustration or uh, pleasure or pain, all of those things that are there that might motivate us. I pray that you'd point us in the right direction through your word. I also pray, Lord, for those during this time of Christmas, if they are alone, that you would bring comfort, and friendship, fellowship to those who are experiencing those maladies. We ask also, Lord, that you would use those things for the benefit of the individuals who go through them and pray that you would help us to be a blessing to those who are seeking those types of things out. And bless your word, Lord, as it goes out in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are just going through teaching, teaching of the sound doctrine, teaching of the older men, teaching of the younger women, the older women, the younger men, and then it was to get into slaves. But focusing on the teaching, it says in verse 7 of chapter 2, and everything set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So you have four things that a teacher is supposed to excel in. Number one, doing what is good. In other words, there's in the original language it talks about a pattern of doing that which is good and doing good works all the time where people, they know they can go to you if you need something done or you need some type of help, you're the one. Secondly, there is integrity in the teaching. In other words, no corruption, no dishonest gained involved, no ulterior motives, no, no power seeking, no, nothing to gain the advantage over someone else through the teaching that is delivered. And then thirdly, he talks about seriousness or we would use a word gravity or the importance or significance of what is being talked. You're not a jokester. You know, the, The things that we teach as teachers, those of you who are teachers or hope to be teachers, these things are serious. These things, when people get a hold of what it actually means to follow proper doctrine, which leads to salvation, if they understand what that means, there would be nothing else that they would seek to do because so many people are not going to heaven. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the road that leads to salvation. And I've been in the presence of people who have gotten it before and just broke into tears once they actually grasped what the Bible has to teach. And so that's why we need to be serious about it. Not that there can't be a little levity from time to time, but for the most part, there just simply needs to be seriousness in delivering God's word. And then soundness of speech or what is intended here is correct and truthful doctrine. So those four things a teacher is supposed to excel in. Now, if somebody, they receive salvation, they grow up in the faith, why should they do these things? What would the motivation be for doing these things? Well, it is told to us in this particular verse, verse 8, it says, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because you have nothing bad to say about us. So why would these things be employed? It'd be employed in such a way as to deflect criticism. You don't want to enable anybody to criticize you for what you're doing as a teacher, what you're delivering to the people that you minister to or even for parents and children or cousins and relatives or if you're a teacher in a school, you want to make sure you do things in such a way that you can avoid the criticism. You're not saying things that are off color or things that would make people feel uncomfortable just because of what they are. I'm not talking about scripture. Scripture, it makes us feel uncomfortable. When I read the scripture, sometimes I, I go, oh that's me, I'm doing that, makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just somebody in general, making them feel uncomfortable for who they are, things that they cannot change. And so we want to be able to deflect the criticism. We want to be able to stand on something that is completely solid and truthful and correct, something that is good, something that is sturdy. By way of illustration, you know, cars... Do you have a car that is sturdy, that is strong, that endures? Do you know what the best-selling car is since 1977, the sedan? The best-selling sedan since 1977. It has been the best-selling car every year except for 2001. 2001, it was the Honda Accord. That was the best-selling car in 2001. But since 1997, people buy this car because they believe it is reliable. When they're told it is a good car, they believe it, they hold to it. Can you guys guess what car that is? A Toyota Camry. Every single year since 1997, it has been the best-selling car. Do you guys know what the worst-selling car in all of those years is the Fiat. They have a 250-day supply of Fiats. That's how many they have. So all the Fiats that are being sold, they're stacked up. So if you want a cheap, unreliable car, go buy a Fiat. Uh, You know, the the best-selling truck, do you know what that vehicle is? By over 200,000, the best-selling truck in the United States... Is the F 150. And then Chevy comes right after that. Ford uh, reigns supreme. But the reason people buy those is because they're true. They know they're going to hold up. They are reliable. And that's what God wants the teacher of the word to be as well soundness in speech correct truthful doctrine seriousness if if you get a truck or a car like a Camry or an F150 they're going to be reliable they're going to do good and so if you're using an analogy like you compared to a car that's what you want or maybe you drive, uh, drive um, a drive a sob or a pacer have you ever seen the um, the individuals that match their pets you know, somebody tall and lanky, what do they get? They get like an Afghan, you know, or a greyhound, something like that. A man who's short and stocky, has a little bulldog. They, they can kind of see you coming. They should see you coming if you're teaching God's word. They should know that it is you. They should know that you are truthful. They should know you're like the vehicle or like the pet that you have, like a a golden retriever, always faithful and always loving and always full of fellowship, that type of thing. So the reason that we would be motivated to do what is right as far as teachers are concerned is to deflect criticism. That's what the scripture tells us. Now he goes on a couple more places and he gives us five or six things. He says do these and he gives us the motivation for doing them. Now, in verse 9, he says teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show them or show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So he gives them five things here: be in subjection or be obedient to whoever you are working for. And then secondly, Try to please them. In other words, be fully agreeable with what the employer or the manager is asking you to do. Do not talk back. Do not dispute with them. Do not contradict them. Do not speak against them to anyone else that is there. Do not steal or embezzle. Uh, have you guys ever taken anything that wasn't yours from somebody that you worked for? Yeah, I was just thinking about this the other day. It may be here. I don't know if it's here or not but we used to have a gym bay and I don't know where the gym bay is. I think it's gone. Uh, I I also know that uh, early years of the church I had a nice leather jacket. It looked good. The leather jacket that I had disappeared. It just completely disappeared. There are things from the church that have disappeared. We had an airless sprayer that was here to paint the church once. Disappeared. These things just Went away, and, and God's gonna take care of those people. But you know, your employer, if he finds out if you're stealing something, that is not good if you're taking it uh, away. I, I know an electrician, a guy that worked for the electrician, he was loading up the excess cable in his vehicle. He was just taking it out of the storage garage and putting it in his vehicle. And they asked him, so, What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to take this and recycle it. He was stealing it is what he was doing. Of course, the guy wasn't working there very long. And so if we're working for somebody, we don't steal. Uh, Trustworthy also. The word in Greek here is faith. That you have faith in the person that is working for you or the person that is working for you is faithful to the employer. You want to give the employer every reason to fully trust you. Now, when I talked about this with the youth, I had like, 25 things that speak in scripture about the slave versus master today for us. It's the employee versus the employer. Now, why would we be in subjection or try to please our employers or not talk back to them, not steal and be trustworthy? Because it makes the gospel specifically Jesus. It makes them attractive. Hopefully sometime in your life, because of your behavior, somebody will ask you, why are you like this? Why do you do this? Why are you the first to arrive, the last to leave if you are working a job? Why do you work so hard? Why, why are you so on time? If you have a 30-minute break, you take a 30-minute lunch, you take a 30-minute lunch. You don't go for 45 or 50 minutes. You, you don't talk evil about the employer when you're sitting down talking with the other people at lunch or anyone else who is a fellow employee because specific, specifically it makes Jesus attractive to them then he goes on to talk about christian character and he gives another five things here and he explains why we should follow these things now verse 11 says for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us." from all wickedness, and to purify us for himself a people that are his very own. And he goes on to say, eager to do what is good, but these then are the things that you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So here he gives five directives for the Christian to build their character, behaviors that they should follow. The first one is... No ungodliness, not being profane, disrespectful, or wicked. I, I think all you have to do is look outside uh, on the news or look in the news and look outside your door to see who is acting in a wicked fashion or disrespectful. There's plenty of that around. It says, no to worldly pra- passions, which is a, a strong, continual sexual desire or lust is what he's referring to here. They need to bring that into control. He also says, be self-controlled or moderate in your passions not going overboard. You know, I, I think it's good in the military, the young men who are there, they still need to be controlled in their passions, even though they are taught to give their full boat to whatever they're doing, whatever strength that they have, they're taught to give it all, especially those who are in special forces, whether in the army or the Navy, or the Marines, whoever they might be. They have to give everything, but it has to be moderated. They have to know when to expend all their energy and when to reserve that. Same thing for the Christian. You need to know when to be passionate and when not to be passionate. This reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where there's a time for everything under heaven, a time to... Uh, kill and a time you know to save a time to spend all of those things that are listed in ecclesiastes we need to be able to have the wisdom in which to operate with these moderate passions then going on forth being upright or doing what is right hopefully we have memorized the right and wrong that god wants us to carry out like the ten commandments hopefully you have those memorized yeah, third commandment, not taking God's name in vain. The fifth commandment, um, honor your mother and father and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All of those, hopefully you have them memorized and in order to remind yourself what to do. And if you can't memorize those, keep the two of them with you. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And you ask yourself that question every time you want to do something. Is this loving to those who are around me? And then live godly or in other words, Willingly compliant in service to God and worship of God. <clears throat> Do you find yourself uh, saying from time to time, Oh, I have to go down to church. I, I have to be an usher or I have to play worship. I, you know, I have to clean the church. Oh, these people are just. And I have to fight against that in my job. I think I've told you before, I, I take care of a uh, large trash company. And they are the worst offenders as far as throwing trash out of their vehicles. And and you wouldn't think so, but when I get, I can't believe the amount of trash that they just throw on the ground when they're hauling trash every single day to the, the dump. But they don't care at the facility there, they just drop it all around. And, and it's like, you're not willingly compliant to the wishes of your employer and they have to hire somebody to pick up after you and you know these types of things are not good we need to be willingly compliant in service and worship to god And, and so if you start saying well i have to go to church or i have to go to some meeting or some bible i have to do this and that's the flesh the flesh loves to say don't just take ease, don't worry about that stuff, it'll just happen. Well it doesn't. No, why do we do all these things as far as Christian character is concerned? Because he gave himself for us and redeemed us. Now if remember Jesus said the person who loved much has been forgiven much, if we don't realize how much we have been forgiven, then we really are not motivated to do anything, especially for those who are strangers. To all of us, Jesus was a stranger, and we met him. Somehow he reached out to us. And if we just keep in mind what he did to redeem us. Let me ask you, would you cut off one finger in order to save somebody? Or a toe? Would you, would you give up a toe? Would you give up your life, blood, to save somebody? No greater love has a man than this and he laid down his life for his friend. That's what Jesus did. When you start to meditate on that what Jesus actually did for us. Remember, he was God in heaven, and he became one of us. I think that's a step down. He became one of us, and he's going to be one of us forever. He's never not going to be one of us. That's a double negative. So he is going to be one of us forever. Why? Because he loved us. Why did he love us? That is the mystery. Do you love somebody who is your enemy? You like to think so because you follow Christ, right? I I have to confess, most times my enemies, I I don't love them very much. Have you guys seen the looting that has been taking place? I don't love those guys. I don't love the guys who go into the stores and just take everything out of I'm thinking about the employer. I'm thinking about the guy who owns the store. I'm thinking about his life could be ruined. And I want justice for him, and I want the others incarcerated. And most of the time in my heart, I am not saying they need Christ. They are lost. Look how destitute they are. I'm not doing that. And we're going to have plenty of this in the future to be able to reflect on because things are just going to get worse and worse. I saw a headline the other day as I was reading, and it talked about, why is there so much violence around the world and you read that and you go, wait, doesn't the Bible say something like that? In the times of Noah, violence was throughout the land and it is throughout the world. That's how we know we're in the, the final part of the last days. And so we want to make sure that we understand that Jesus gave himself for us. Everything that he gave up for us was necessary that we might be saved and we need to have this spirit of gratitude and humility through it. Now, With this, there is one verse I want to focus on, and I do this every time I come to one of these verses. I want to make sure you guys get it. Verse 13, backing up. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a deity verse. This is a verse that points to Jesus being God in human form. And there are several verses. Now, what I'd like you to do, if you have your phone and not a Bible, I want you to open up your notes. And in your notes, I want you to just write down these verses. If it's your Bible, you need to open up to one of the blank pages in your Bible. They always provide blank pages. And you can write down these deity verses. In my Bible, I have these deity verses in case I ever forget them. I have three or four memorized. There's more than that. Uh, You can have the addresses memorized. And it, it will show you that Jesus in human form was God not only was he a God he is the God he is the almighty God he is the creator of the universe and he became one of us now most of you know first John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and then down in verse 3 it says and he made everything he is the creator and that the Greeks would have understood the word logos there. The word logos is the creative principle behind the universe that created everything. And so we know that later on, if you go all the way down through verse 14, that first chapter there, we know that the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and he died for us. And so that's speaking of Jesus Christ, clearly. Then there's John 5.18. So you want to write down John one one, but you can put in parentheses all the way to verse 14. And then John 5, 18, it says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And he was doing that. He called God the Father his own father, which made him equal to God the Father. It's like your children, they are human beings. They're equal to you, especially when they're adults. They are equal to you. Well, Jesus is equal to the Father. Then there's John twenty twenty-eight, And remember, this is the only one in the New World Translation that Jehovah Witnesses have that hasn't been changed. And this is one that I've used in the past that has had a, a stark reaction to those who I have read it. And this is what it says. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And the question that I have asked Jehovah Witnesses is when they come to me, and you maybe have heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. When they come to me, I ask them if they have the New World Translation. A lot of times they don't. So I have one. I, I sometimes carry it in my vehicle. I have it at home. But I'll bust it out. And I'll turn to John twenty twenty eight and I give it to them. And I ask them the simple question, is Thomas calling Jesus God? That's what I ask them. And it usually... Sp- Sends them into a spin. And if they're real cantankerous, if they're real ornery, they'll just try to flush over it and go to another subject. And I always stop them. I say, I need to know this answer. Is Thomas calling Jesus God? Because they haven't changed it in their version. Other versions or other passages they have changed, but not that one. Then there's Romans 9 5 says, Theirs are the patriarchs. The Predicate to this is, what benefit is there being a Jew? There's no benefit, they were arguing with Paul. And Paul says, for theirs are the patriarchs from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. And so he says, that's the benefit of being a Jew. That's the ancestry of Christ. That's where Christ came from, the the blessed people that had the lineage of the Messiah. And so Romans 9.5 says, he is God over all. And it's not little God, it is capital G God. Then there's Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And going on into verse 16, it says again, he is the creator of all things. Just like it says in John uh, chapter 1. He created everything. Then Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. So God is not diminished by being in that little package of the human being and how that is accomplished, I have no idea. But God is in human form, all the fullness, and that's the description there, fullness of God, not part of God, not one characteristic of him. The fullness of God lives in bodily form in Christ Jesus. Or the Father Calling the Son God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 makes a differentiation between the angels and his Son. And this is another good one for the Jehovah Witnesses. He goes on to say, But about the Son, he says in verse 8, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. So God the Father is speaking. He says, your throne, O God. Again, it's big G. So the Father is calling the Son God. In Titus 2.13 that we just read, while well, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in Second Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle to Christ Jesus, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So Jesus is called God and Savior there. Then John first John chapter five verse twenty says We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So you have what? 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 direct verses that speak of the deity of Jesus Christ. Now this one is always a good one too and it's going to take a little bit of flipping around for you to get this. In Revelation chapter 1 verses 17 and 18 it talks about the first and the last it says do not be afraid i am the first and the last i am the living one i was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, Jesus' name is not specific to these couple of verses. But the first and the last, based on all the rest of the verses that you've just read, if the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and died, the first and the last also died, the Alpha and the Omega also died. Now, why wouldn't we find the term... Alpha and the Omega in the Old Testament. We find the first and last, but why not the Alpha and the Omega? Alpha and the Omega is Greek. The Old Testament is Hebrew. And so first and the last applies the same thing as the Alpha and the Omega. So it says, do not be afraid, verse 17, I am the first, I am the last, verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and hold the keys of death and Hades. If you went back into the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, we find out who the first and the last is in the Old Testament. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. So the Lord Almighty is the first and the last, the one who died in the New Testament, Isaiah 48, verse 12 says, Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I have called, I am he. I am the first and I am the last. If I haven't checked it, but if I went back to Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12, it probably says, I am, not I am he. Uh, the NIV installs that, and I think they do it for understanding, but it, it's kind of disjointed if you say, well, who are you? And you say, I am it just doesn't make too much sense in the english but that's who god wanted to communicate who he was so that's the name of the god of the burning bush when jesus had the i am statements in the gospel of john he was saying i am the god of the i am burning bush in the old testament moses when Moses spoke to God, he spoke to God face to face. It was Jesus who is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last in the book of Revelation. And if you want to find out who the book of Revelation says is the first and the last, it's not hard to do because it does name the first and the last, Revelation chapter 22. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And if you read through the whole thing and just hopped down to verse 16, it continues and says, I, Jesus. So the first and the last, the beginning of the end. Verse 16, I, Jesus. It is Jesus who is speaking. He is calling himself the God of the Old Testament. I've used this one too. Actually, right here in the driveway. Uh, I've, you probably heard me talk about that before, but in the driveway were the Jehovah Witnesses. And I said, look, there's no change in voice here. It doesn't go to first-person singular to second-person or third-person singular or someone else. It stays in first-person singular all the way through. The Alpha and the Omega is Jesus. I, Jesus first person singular and and then of course the son is named by sonship in the old testament and most jews they haven't seen this proverbs chapter 30 verse 4 it says who has gone up to heaven and come down who has gathered up the wind in the hollows of his hand who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak who has established the ends of the earth what is his name and the name of his son So the Old Testament teaches us God has a son. We know from the New Testament it is Jesus Christ who is also the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. So if there was ever any doubt in your mind that Jesus is God in human form, hopefully this has wiped it away. And if somebody comes and tells you, somebody knocks on your door, which you might get Christmas morning because that's when they go out because they don't celebrate Christmas. They try to go out witnessing. Sit them down and say, wait, could you go over these verses with me? Come on in, sit down. I want to talk to you about this. And, and if you say, well, you know, we got Christmas going on. What are you doing here right now? This is an opportunity for you. I, you know, with all my family that's there, if they knock on my door, I'm bringing them in. I'm sitting them down. I'm giving them a lesson on what scripture has to say. I'm going to bring out the New World Translation say, here you go. I want you to read this. And hopefully... They'll start changing. And if you become equipped in this, you may not have a convert right in front of you, but man, they're going to go away just perplexed. It's going to be like, maybe you've heard the little phrase, put a pebble in his shoe. where if you ever have a small little stone in your shoe or you're walking along and say, this thing is really bugging me so much. And that's what you want to do. You want to drop that pebble in somebody's shoe. Now going on in verse 3. Or, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1. This is a portion of scripture here where we have the Christian character and he continues with six other things. We had five before and there are six here. He says, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility to all men. So there are six more directives for godly living here. He says, be subject to rulers and authorities. If you look at this in the original language, it's uh, authorities or it's um, principalities, it's powers and magistrates is what it is. And if you wanted to translate that, you could say, well, it's federal government, state government, local government or it could be a judge it, it could be sheriffs it could be whoever but there's this this level of hierarchy you have to be submissive to that if you guys have ever gone down to uh, get a permit to do something at your house I, I've had to do this I'm still doing it I've been down there four times being submissive to the authorities which are there I ask them to do things and say no you can't do that but if we change the name we can do this And you, you have to Uh, negotiate with them to get done what you want to get done. You have to be submissive. Now, if you build something and there's no permit, they're going to come down. There's code enforcement and they come after you for something like, and you have to be submissive to the governing authorities. That's what they want. I have somebody that I know, a friend that I know, they just told me I'm no longer being submissive just because of how difficult it is to get anything done whatsoever. They say, I'm not being submissive anymore. That's it. I'm sinning, I know it, I have to confess it to the Lord, the person's a believer. And I said, okay, that's on your shoulders, it's on no one else's shoulders. But God tells us to be submissive to the governing authorities, whether principalities, powers, or magistrates. Now going on, it says, be ready, or be obedient, ready to do whatever is good. Whatever good deed might be out there, you can't say, well, I'm busy right now but if there's somebody who needs help somebody who needs assistance make yourself available this is part of the christian character also do not slander or speak evil of there is no one including myself that is guiltless in this area we all have said something against someone including the president of the United States right now. I mean, and all the way down to a local authority. We complain and we just, we think how terrible this is. God died to save us from all of this. Save us from all the governmental mess that's out there. Uh, The people as well that we want to speak evil of. God said, just don't do it. Also be peaceable. Do not be a brawler or a fighter. Do not, be somebody who just wants to go and take somebody out just because they can. I'm reminiscing here in my own mind. There was this uh, young boy in 6th grade. His name was Bobby Valentine. And Bobby Valentine he came up to me one day and he goes, "I want to fight you." And I said, "Why?" He goes, "Just because I want to." That's stupid. Why, why do you want to fight he goes I want, you, I want you to fight me and okay so I met him afterwards outside the school it wasn't on the playground and we fought it was, you know 6th graders don't really fight too much wrestled I held him down and I said do you have enough is that enough goes, no well, I let him back up again. And I got him back down again. Is that enough? He, he just wanted to fight. He just wanted, he didn't know how to fight, but neither did I. I just thought if I sit on him, then, you know, I, I don't have to worry about him too much. But there's people like that. They just want to fight. And God says, don't. That's the last reason. Defend yourself, certainly. Learn how to defend yourself. But don't be a brawler. Don't be a fighter. Then being considerate or patient I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. How impatient do you get before you get your Starbucks? You know, Do they take a long time? Yeah, are you waiting in that line there? If they're not coming through, or how long do you have to wait in a line to get something? You know, Christmas is coming up. There's going to be lines. You're going to be standing in line to get something. This person is so slow up here. Oh, you just broke the other rule. Don't slander anybody else. And you're supposed to be patient the whole time. Consider it. Of those who are not maybe having a good day. And show humility, which means meekness or mild or gentle. We don't want to be somebody who is harsh and overbearing. So those are six more directives for godly living. Now it says we used to be... <laughs> he has seven different things here. Used to be like this, and he names them. Verse 3 says, At one time you two were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another and first john 2 9 says that anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness and first john four twenty and 21 it says if anyone says i love god yet hates his brother he is a liar for anyone who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen and he has given us this command whoever loves God must also love his brother so foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved full of malice or malevolent uh, nastiness uh, envy and hating all of those things we used to be now the problem with used to being like that is we have a tendency to resurrect some of those things every once in a while have you ever done something just really stupid? I mean, and, and not when you were young but when maybe last year or last month or last week, you just did, and you say to yourself, that was stupid. That that would just, and you spell that S-T-O-O-P, right? Stupid, it being stupid. You, you don't do stupid things. Just ask God for wisdom. Don't do malicious things. And I've blown this so many times. I go, God, I, I'm sorry. I'm ruining the witness that I'm supposed to be for you. Then in verse 3 it says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is our motivation for doing these things that are listed for the Christian character. He says, Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And one thing just stands out to me here is justified by his grace. Now, unless you know what justified means and what grace means, it's hard to grab hold of the meaning of that phrase. Justified means to be declared right, that you are in good standing. And if you understand that you, just like myself, we are all sinners... And we deserve judgment. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have been to traffic court. I've never been to traffic court. I've always been good. To, I'm kidding. I have been there. I've been before the judge. And, you know, all the people are behind you and you're making your case or whatever you do there. And not one of those judges said to me, and there's only a couple, not a lot. They never said to me, not guilty. They, they would always say, did you do it? Did you violate the law? And you prevaricate, you, you, you mince words. You don't want to say yes, because you'd go, done, 50 bucks or $500 or whatever it might be. Or you can go to traffic school. Wonderful experience. The traffic school that you have to go to. And then after you pay the debt, they record it. The debt's recorded. It is not removed. It is not taken away from your record. That was the Old Testament. It was not taken away. Jesus goes in and he takes all those traffic citations, has a big eraser, and he just erases all of them that are on there and you have no violations against you whatsoever, no more. And why does a judge do that? Because he wants to. No other reason. Because he just wanted to show you some favor. Every once in a while you'll see a clip of a judge doing that. And, and they'll just extend mercy to somebody and say, hey, it's all been wiped out. You have no offense against you. It's not going to be on the record. That's what God did to us. And if there was any previous offense, he has erased it completely. One of those rubber erasers just takes out all the sin and it's all gone. And he has justified us by his grace. And it's because of his mercy that he decided to save us it goes on to say verse 8 this is a trustworthy saying and i want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in god may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good these things are excellent and profitable for everyone But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him or shun him. Now, this is referring certainly to the Judaizers who were there. They wanted to lead the people in a different direction but they were more than likely being contentious in doing so. They were looking on the fringes of what should be Christianity. They would look into the Old Testament. There would constantly be friction there between the Judaizers and those who were teachers or those who were elders in the churches. And I'm sure some of those elders were convinced by the Judaizers that they needed to keep some of the Old Testament law. Or maybe there is an undiscovered objection in our day and age here that somebody brings up and then maybe it makes the Bible. Bible untrue. Well, how do you answer this controversy? And they're always going to the controversy. They're always going to something that may be suspect, something that maybe is not understood fully. And they want to take the edge of that. They want to go to the far edge. And maybe it's something that they have discovered through the teachings of Christianity that maybe nobody else has discovered before. No, there's nothing new under the sun. All the controversies that people bring up today, well, well, what about this? It wasn't three days in the in the tomb. It was like a day and a half. Well, what about that? Obviously, it, the Bible's not true, or some Old Testament story that would come up. What do you mean? There's a uh, uh, book of Revelation. Twelve thousand people. 12,000 men from each tribe of Israel is it exactly 12,000 men or is it 12,463 what is it and why do they use these numbers like this and why is somebody called a brother and an uncle and a relative in different places and they're not the same name what's the controversy behind that and somebody who's like that all the time it's like calm down buddy woman just sit down just stick with the plain things that we know to be true. Don't sacrifice that which we know to be true for these controversial things. Things that we don't fully understand. If God wanted us to fully understand some of this stuff, do you think he would have made it clear? Absolutely he would. Like, is Jesus' Savior? Is that clear? Absolutely clear. Is there no other way to heaven? No other way to heaven. Those things are absolutely clear. But there's people who like to be on the fringes, who just like to go on the outskirts and see every controversy that is out there. Why aren't the apocryphal books included in our Bible? Is there something wrong with that? And why did the Catholic Church decide to do that? And the Apostolic Church decide to do that, but we don't do that. And a person like that, you need to sit them down and say, hey, become proficient. In that which we know to be true. All these other things, you want to dabble in that, fine. We'll talk about it. But make the main thing that which is the plain thing. You guys, I'm sure, have heard that before. And so, verse 11 says, You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at uh, Decapolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything that they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for the daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. What he's saying here is Get and keep a job. Do not be unemployed. We know from other places of scripture, the person who has a job is supposed to share what they receive as an income with those who are less fortunate. And he closes out, verse 15 says, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And so the motivations for doing what we're supposed to do they certainly lie in jesus himself it's not supposed to be because we are fearful of the judgment which is to come because we've passed from judgment to life and it is by god's mercy that we uh, lean ourselves towards repentance his goodness his kindness to us so Jesus is supposed to be the one that motivates us for everything. if we don't know jesus we 're not going to be very motivated and when we 're motivated, he says eight times in the book of Titus, he talks about what is good, doing what is good i 'm going to name them for you Titus one eight love what is good Titus one sixteen Learn what makes us unfit for doing anything good. We're supposed to look at that because there were some people that were unfit for doing anything good. And then teach what is good, Titus two three. Set an example by doing what is good, Titus two seven. Be eager to do what is good, Titus two fourteen. Be ready to do what is good, Titus three one. Devote yourselves to doing what is good, Titus three eight. Learn to devote yourselves to doing what is good, Titus three fourteen. Do what is good. Make sure you're fit for doing what is good. Well, what are those good things? Everything that I just listed for you, whether you're an employee or whether you're a Christian and it's your character or any other good work, which means we are all to do something. Now, I don't want to mix things up. It doesn't give us salvation. You've heard me say many times, But we are not to be laxed in finding good things to do. If somebody says, hey, we have a good work over here, do it. No matter what it is. Take the time and the Lord will reward you even if you feel like you're being inconvenienced. Like, this is such an inconvenience. But the Lord wants to do something because he wants to make Jesus Christ attractive to those who are perishing or even just to be an example to those who are out there so if you're one who finds excuses not to do things don't if you're one that really doesn't know Jesus Christ very well then you're not going to want to do the good things so my exhortation to you guys is find out really dig deep who is Jesus what is his character like why is he the Savior why did he sacrifice everything for us why was he obedient to the Father and if you model what he did we will be pleasing to the Father. And I think that that is the lesson from Titus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Titus, who was so faithful under Paul's leadership to go and appoint elders to instruct men and women, young and old, and slaves at the time. Father, we we understand these things. Help us to mimic what is taught. Help us to hold it close. Help us not to be complainers. Help us to be ready to do any good work that is in front of us. And with your help, Lord, we'll recognize these opportunities. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Please stand.